0: Good morning. It is my joy to read from the book of Matthew to you today. We're looking at chapter 19, and I'll be reading verses 16 through 26. Um, Phil Bryan will be preaching before and after that. So I'm going to read from the message today. Ready? Another day a man stopped Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Jesus said, Why do you question me about what's good? God is the one who is good. If you want to enter the life of God, just do what he tells you. The man asked, what in particular? And Jesus said, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as you do yourself. The young man said, I've done all that. What's left? Hmm. If you want to give it all you've got, Jesus said, go. Sell your possessions. Give everything to the poor. All your wealth will then be in heaven. And then come follow me. That was the last thing the young man expected to hear. And so, crestfallen, he walked away. He was holding on tight to a lot of things, and he couldn't bear to let go. As he watched him go, Jesus told his disciples, Do you have any idea how difficult it is for the rich to enter God's kingdom? Let me tell you, it's easier to gallop a a camel through a needle's eye than for the rich to enter God's kingdom. The disciples were staggered. Well, then who has any chance at all? Jesus looked hard at them and said, no chance at all if you think you can pull it off yourself. Every chance in the world if you trust God to do it. The word of the Lord.
1: Anybody else want to get a copy of the Carrie Jane Smith audio Bible? I'd contribute to that, that project, just so we're clear. <clears throat> okay. All right. Got to get all my devices going, my doomsday timer here. Really, I can just watch for my... My people who reliably nod off, you always send a good message. Thank you. You are doing a huge service to every preacher. Um, Let me pray for us before we go any further. Father, thank you so much for your word, for the truth of it, for the authority of it, and mainly for the fact that it points us back to you, our Father. Um, Remind us that the object of all of this is a personal God who knows us and loves us. I pray that will come through this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, My name is Phil Bryan. I'm one of the elders here at church. Um, When I'm not playing the part of a rogue elder, I am also a high school English teacher by day. And my students... um, will ask me, I have kind of a reputation, I'm sort of notorious for being a very hard grader, and my students will ask me, uh, you know, invariably before we start our first writing assignment, "I will say, Mr. Brian, what do I have to do to get an A? What do I have to do to get an A? Uh, because I don't give a lot of A's, I certainly don't give a lot of A pluses, but they, they ask that question, and over the years, that's just, it just, just exhausts me. And I've reached the point now where I'm, I'm pretty belligerent about it. And I, and I say to them, you know what? If you're asking me that question, you're already in trouble. And they go, what, 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 what? what? I say, you see, the question you ask me is, what do I have to do to get an A? What you've just said is, what do I have to do to get a number on my transcript? So you've told me what you're interested in. You're interested in a number on a Transcript. But here's the problem, if you go into this and you say, what I want to do is get a number on a transcript, you're going to miss that what you should be saying is, I want to become a good writer. You know who gets A's in my classes? People who write well. Not people who pursue a number. People who pursue good writing. I say, don't you understand? Writing is magic. You can take a piece of paper and you can take any writing device you want and you can make marks on it and you can hand that to another person and some abstract idea that was in your mind can get transmitted to another person. That's magical, man. That's amazing. Dolphins are smarter than us, but they can't write poetry. We can do that. Okay, now I'm going to stop and ask you all, was anybody convinced by that little spiel? Wow. Rude. I believe that, by the way. When I say that, I think, I think the words are magical. I think the ability to communicate ideas through language is unbelievable. It's astonishing. But invariably, I get to the end of that speech, and they go, so how long does it have to be? How many quotes does it need? How many How many pages? Oh, I don't know what I'm touching. Everything's hot up here. Um, so, we, we come to this passage in Matthew 19, and we have a sort of similar situation. You probably, if like me, you grew up in church, you know this story. Um, we tend to refer to it as the rich young ruler, and we get that because we're combining the Matthew story and the Luke story. In Luke, he's referred to as a ruler. In both, it was referred to as rich um, and uh, I think his immaturity shows on the page. Maybe that's where we get the young from. But the, the, the point is is that he comes. To, this man comes to Jesus. Verse 16, he says, Someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? Now, on one hand, okay, thinking of me as teacher, I suppose a student walking up and saying, What can I do to get an A-plus? On one hand, you could argue, you know, Phil, you should be nice to that kid. At least that kid's showing some initiative. At least he wants to do well. At least he, he's, he's saying that he wants to put forth effort. You know, come on, give the kid a break, right? But I'm in good company because Jesus is not going to give this kid a break. You see, the thing is, the rich young ruler is asking the right person the wrong question. He comes to Jesus and he says, teacher, what good thing should I do to obtain eternal life? Now, there's a couple of things here. He's rooting this in what's good. What's good? Number two, he says, what can I do? Sorry, I don't, I don't know why I'm making it pop so much. I apologize. He says, what can I do? What's my? What's, what do I have in my control? And the word he uses for obtain eternal life, the word he uses for obtain means he wants to possess it and have it under his control. This guy wants to know how he can make it about him. You tell me what I can do because I'm sure I can do it. So Jesus looks at him. And he says, why are you asking me about what's good? Well, simple answer. Why is he doing that? Do you know what the number one response is when people ask, if you believe there's a heaven and a hell, what gets you there? When people are surveyed, and they get surveyed on this quite often, what's the number one answer? Be good. Lead a good life. Lead a good life. Whatever that means. I love to play that game with my students. We read Dante's Inferno, where everybody goes to hell. Except conveniently Dante. He gets a pass. It's weird. And I ask my students, I say, what gets you there? And after they've read Dante, 30 of all 34 cantos, they're like, apparently everything gets you there. Apparently you can go for anything. And I say, right. That's exactly right. So if it's being good, where's the line? Is it is it, it is it quantitative? So as long as I'm in the 50th plus percentile, I go to heaven? Or is it quantitative? I'm sorry, I got that reversed. Quantitative, is it qualitative? How bad is it? You know, if I murder, is that better than, you know, envy? See, we don't have an answer for good. That's why people come to this. But why do we like good? Because it puts it back in my control, doesn't it? We like having things we can count. I was a good boy today. Phil gets a gold star in his chart. This guy comes to Jesus and he says, what should I do? What should I do? And he says, why are you asking me about what's good? And then he says, there's only one who's good. In Luke, it says, only God is good. There's only one that's good. He says, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Now, by saying this statement, why are you asking me about good? There's only one that's good. Jesus is in a really sneaky way affirming his deity. It's kind of cool, actually. He's saying, look, if you really want to know about good, I can actually tell you. Because I'm the only one. I'm the only one. So on one hand, he's affirming his own deity, but that's going right past this kid, isn't it? This kid's going, why is he talking about... Just like my students go, why is he talking about magical writing? Just tell me what to do to get the A. Jesus says, why are you asking about good? Only God's good. But I'll go ahead and answer. Because I can. He says, if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Now, you notice what word gets omitted here when Jesus says it? Eternal. Eternal. life gets omitted the guy asked, what can I do to obtain eternal life? Jesus says, well, let me tell you what you can do to have life. And the idea here, I think, is that he's saying, if you want to have a good life, a decent life. Now, can we all agree that when people are nice and doing what they're supposed to do and they're not mean, that the world's a better place? I mean, can we all, we all agree, nice people, we like better than nasty people right? People who do what they're supposed to do versus people who think they can break all the rules and get away with it. You know, that kind of thing. But the thing is, good, there are lots of systems that can teach you moral behavior. Did you know that? There are zillions out there. Any religion can tell you about good. Any Most philosophies can tell you about good. That's what philosophy is about, trying to find the good, capital T, capital G. So if all you want is to lead a good life, will it be a good life if you follow rules? Yeah, everybody's going to get along nicer. I vote for that. But is that going to give you eternal life? Or is it just going to give you a pleasant life? Is it just going to give you a decent life? Jesus says, "All right, you know what? If you want, if what you're looking for is good life, yeah, here, follow the rules, man. Follow the rules." And the guy says to him, which ones? Now, there's a number of reasons why he can say, which ones? One is, he's trying to see what the bare minimum is, right? That's another reason I hate it when my students ask me, what do I need? They say things like, how many pages does it have to be? To which I reply, good. And they go, wait, wait. did he have a stroke? How many pages, Mr. Bryan? Are you Mr. Bryan? How many pages? And I say, good. They go, I don't, I don't, I don't, but how long, how long should my argument be? I go, I don't know, what are you arguing? I don't know how long your argument should be. Your argument should be as long as it needs to be to be convincing and compelling and to make me not want to put it down. That's how long it should be. It should be good. Whatever length that is, do that. They're like, golly, I wish I'd gotten Mrs. Moran for English. Oh, hate this guy. He says, which ones? On one hand, he could be asking, what's the minimum I have to get by with? What's the minimal requirement? But the other thing is that the Pharisees, over years, all right, the religious leadership, the rabbis, they had all sat around and they'd added a bunch of rules to God's rules. Because, you know, 600 plus aren't enough. Let's put a few more in. Now, I said a minute ago, wouldn't the world be a nicer place if we all followed rules? But how many of you all like following rules? Let's follow up with that question. How many people just love it? Please just give me rules. You know who likes rules? People who measure their worth by them. So, over time, over many, many generations, they had added all of these rules. You saw it when Jesus would argue with them. They'd say, why aren't your disciples washing their hands the number of times we suggest? He's like, because God didn't say they had to. But we think, I don't care what you think. Do you have rules that God doesn't have for people? Just secret rules that you have? Things you just get to quietly look down on others because they do things differently than you? Surely not. Surely you're not judgmental like that. This guy goes, which laws do I keep? He's either asking, what's the bare minimum I can get by with? Or he's asking that along with, and there's just so doggone many. What do I do? So Jesus answers him. And he says, don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Love your neighbors yourself. Now, Jesus selects this list, and it's interesting because in this list selection, he selects things that are pretty visible, aren't they? They're things you can spot, but they get more abstract as you go, don't they? They get a little harder to know if you're seeing the real deal. It's pretty clear on murder, right? Like a homicide was either committed or it wasn't, okay? Although there's that passage that says, if you call someone empty head, then it's like you... Well, let's not get technical. And how about adultery? You either you either cheated or you didn't. Except for there's that thing about the adultery, like if you already committed adultery in your heart. If you, well, I get, let's just stick to the obvious, okay? Phil, so don't complicate it. But he, he appeals to these things that are easy to spot. Have you murdered? And the kid goes, nope. You haven't murdered. You cheated? Nope. You stolen? Nope. He says, "You born false witness? Nope, nope. Honor father and mother. Anybody a hundred percentile on that? Is she okay? Is she a hundred percentile? Is she? Is she a hundred percentile? I mean, I believe it. Juanita's pretty awesome. Anybody a hundred percentile on honoring father and mother? Always loving your neighbor as yourself. Uh, it, it gets trickier as it goes, doesn't it? And then look at what the kid says I've done it, I did it, I've done it, I've done them all. I did them all. I've done them. So what else? Can you hear the smugness in his, in his reply? I've done all those. I've kept all those. What is there anything I'm lacking? It's like a challenge. Is there anything? Can you spot anything? Am I good? Are we good? Am I good? Just say the word, Jesus. Man, like, so not only is he arrogant, he's self-righteous, and he's delusional. He's managed to convince himself of how good he is. But you kind of get that, right? Don't you want to be good? You want to tell yourself you're, you're one of the good guys, don't you? I don't think you get up in the morning and go, you know, I want to be, I want the people around me today to think of me as a bad guy. I want my coworkers to go, what a jerk. You know, I hope the wife and kids are like, let's, can't wait for dad to leave. I think we all get up in the morning and go, you know, I, I want to be a good guy. I want to be on the good side of the equation. I get the impulse. The problem is, do you really think you're hitting the mark? This kid has told himself he is. I've done all those things. I've done all those things. Well, Jesus has a bad habit of calling you on it when you lie. Even if you don't know you're doing it. So Jesus says, I'll tell you what. Here's what you want to do. He says, if you want to be complete... You want to be complete. <clears throat> go sell your possessions. Give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now, what does complete mean here? <clears throat> the, the word can also be translated perfect. Earlier in this in this in the book of Matthew, it's the same words used and means perfect. Okay. Mr. Bullseye You're sure you got it? I just need you to throw one more dart. Make sure you hit the bullseye this time, too. You're sure you're good, so let's let's just do it. Let's go full tilt, man. This would be good. Just get rid of all your stuff. Give it to the poor. Come follow me. Hmm. Now we're in a pickle, aren't we? Because... It says, the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Isn't that funny where Jesus hits you? He hits you on your possessions. He hits you on your relationships. He hits you where it hurts, doesn't he? Trust me, if God wants to get your opinion, uh, get your attention, he will. If he wants to get your attention, he'll hit you right where you're going to feel it the most. He looks at this kid and he says, If you really want perfection, all it'll take is you giving away everything. Then we can talk about perfect. Oh, by the way, and follow me. Now, you notice that that book ends nicely with the first verse where he says, Tell me what I can do. Does this kid have any, any interest in a relationship with Jesus? Did he walk up and say, I want to be one of your disciples? Heck, even the naked demon-possessed guy who ran around the tombs afterwards said, can I please come with you? This guy's so righteous that he doesn't want to follow Jesus? He's not interested in being a disciple. He's not interested in a relationship. He's interested in a checklist that will absolutely confirm what he believes is his own righteousness derived of his own work. He has no interest at all in the one who is truly good because he's so concerned about his own goodness. Ironic, isn't it? I want to be such a good person that I miss that I can't be but I could know the one who is. Get rid of your possessions. Give to the poor. It's no big deal, right? But he says, I can't do it. Can't do it. Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. There's no way to get around the fact that, that this is definitely talking about money. <laughs> this is talking about our possessions, isn't it? And Jesus is definitely saying they can easily get in the way. Often do. To quote the great philosopher Tyler Durden, what we own ends up owning us. All he had to do was give something away, and he couldn't do it. It's funny, <clears throat> if you study the, the wealthiest people in, in, in America, um, they have interesting giving habits. A number of years ago, you may have heard, may have hit the news, um, Jeff Bezos, the uh, guy who did Amazon, he had a divorce. Did you hear about this? He had a divorce, and his wife, Mackenzie Bezos, got a little bit of a settlement in that divorce when he stepped out on her. She got $37 billion in that settlement. $37 billion. Just let, let that sink in for a sec. That's a chunk of change. And then she really, really messed things up for all the other billionaires. Because you know what she did? She started giving it away at a breakneck pace. See, all this time, the billionaires had said, well, it's complicated for us to give away our wealth. It's really complicated because we have to really make sure that, you know, we don't just want to willy-nilly put money somewhere and find out that it's not used properly. We have to, this is a heavy burden being rich. This is an extremely difficult thing. We can't just walk around writing checks. And then Mackenzie Bezos came around with her rather large checkbook and just went around writing checks. Billions of dollars in checks. And I read an interview with a couple of the places that said we would get a call and say we're with the McKinsey Bezos Foundation we'd like to give you a million dollars and they're like okay thanks crank caller bye And they said it's because no one ever offers us anything without strings attached They never just say we trust you know what's best for your organization so we just want to empower you to do it here's money go do it love ya we're out they said, nobody does that. And then she did it. And it is absolutely shaking the philanthropy world to its to its knees. Because they've all been hiding behind this. Well, it's, it's extremely complicated to give away money. Turns out it's not. Turns out it's not complicated at all. You just give it away. You see, the problem is is that if you're convinced it belongs to you in the first place, then you can convince yourself of this heightened responsibility, right? See, this is mine. God entrusted this to me. I don't know if Mackenzie Bezos knows Jesus, but she's freer worth of money than most Christians. <clears throat> you could say, well, she's got a lot to give. The widow didn't. She had two pennies. When the disciples heard this, they were astonished and said, then who can be saved? Now, why would the disciples be astonished at the statement? What is the assumption here? It's a little, it's a little veiled prosperity theology, isn't it? See, we can't escape the fact that if we look at somebody who's doing well, what do we think? Well, God's blessing them. God's blessing them. So they must be, what's the theme here today? Good. Just like Job. Just like God blessed Job for being good. Remember that? He did bless him, didn't he? And then he allowed Satan to absolutely put him through the meat grinder. All because he was good. He's blameless and upright. He's, those are God's words about him to the devil? See, we have this skewed sense, don't we? And we, it's deep down, we can't help it. The disciples are astonished, and they go, "Well, if a rich guy can't get in, if a rich guy can't get in, how's anybody stand a chance?" And Jesus is like, "Don't you understand? They're the ones who are going to have trouble. They're the ones." Who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and He said, with people this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. It's funny how this passage breaks down in the larger context. When when Mike Stroh wrote me and said, hey, here's the passage you can... You can pick a piece that you want. He sent me chapter 19, verse 1 through 20, chapter 20, verse 16. Covers a lot of territory. The first thing is divorce. He even said in his email, I said, I swear, Phil, we're not making you do the divorce passage. And it's funny because I I thought about doing it. I thought about doing it because I really liked not so much getting into the vagaries of divorce, but that the conversation was once again about defining good and bad. We're keeping score. Why does this happen? Who's Who's got an okay divorce and who doesn't? You ever notice that's what that always devolves into? Whose divorce is allowed? I'm pretty sure God's just generally not fond of divorce, right? I think I read that somewhere. And yet, that same God said, go ahead, Moses, grant the certificate, probably largely to protect the women there. But but the point is, is that it's all driven by this question of, like, we've got to keep score. So I want you to just glance at the pieces that make up this narrative. Because, man, I'm telling you, my mind is being blown at 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 this point in my life as I'm rereading the Gospels, especially because they're written in that narrative form, how they're laid out, because it's astonishing. Okay, so chapter 19. Chapter 19, verses 1 through 12, is this argument about divorce. Let's nitpick the rule. And Jesus' basic answer is, you know, the whole reason we're having this conversation is because of a hardness of heart. Right? This whole conversation and divorce itself is a hardness of heart issue. Then the next thing that happens is children come running up. I should have had Carrie Jean read this. Something tells me she would have really put some oomph into the children passage. Children come running up. What do the disciples do? Get out of here, kid. Don't bother me. And what does Jesus say? Hey, send them over here. You notice the rich guy doesn't have any trouble getting access to Jesus? Notice the disciples don't play gatekeeper with him, do they? No, they're the ones at the end going, I can't believe he seemed like such a good guy. If he can't get in. But these kids, these annoying kids, ugh, oh, get rid of them. And Jesus says, no, the kingdom belongs to such as these If you don't enter as a child, you don't come at all, right? And then we have the rich young ruler. Once again, how can I do it myself? I'll do it my own self. I'll be good enough. And Jesus says, no, you won't. You never will. Because the definition of good is fixed. And it's me, man. And your best efforts can't reach it. All your best efforts cannot reach it. And that leaves the disciples going, man, that's terrible. And then, you know, the disciples say after that, the disciples say, well, hang on. We've walked, I gave up stuff for you. We followed you. You, Okay, you said give your stuff away and follow you. We did that. And they literally go, what do we get? Oh what do I get for being good? What do I get for being good? And then Jesus tells a parable at the end of that. In chapter 20, he tells a parable about the laborers in the vineyard and how they get picked up at different times of the day. And at the end of the day, not only does he pay them all the same, no matter how little time they worked, he pays the ones who got there the latest, he pays them first. And the guys that were there since dawn, breaking their backs, go, what the been working all day this isn't fair we worked harder than the other guy you almost think that if there had been many disciples left at the cross most <laughs> there weren't right most of them took off because they were scared we had john down there right that if they'd heard jesus say to that that criminal oh today you'd be with me in paradise he'd be like oh, wait 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 why does he get in He's clearly a bad guy. He admitted it. He's followed you for 10 seconds. That can't count. I've been doing this for 3 years. What the this does And that parable finishes with saying, "Why are you mad at God for being generous?" <laughs> I've noticed this with my students. I like to teach them about grace because um, in, invariably what'll happen is, I, I remember one year, especially, I had this one student really bothered me, but there was a kid who came in, walked up, and you know, I started, saying, okay, 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 Mr. Brian, let me, okay, let me tell you what happened. Okay, so, okay, so my router, okay, so I couldn't, and the printer, okay, I, okay, so anyhow, I don't have my paper. I, I will, it will, I know it's due, I don't have it, it will become, and I have to kind of weigh it, because I'm not God and all-knowing, but if I know the kid, i go, hey, you know what, Just turn in, can you get it in tonight? Okay, that's fine. Other kids will be like, hey, wait, wait, are you letting him turn in late? Are you, hey, Mr. Bryant, are you letting him turn in late? That's not fair. I worked hard to get, I, my router, wait, we went to Staples last night and bought a new toner cartridge. I work, why are you, and I go, hey, hey, you know what, just, this doesn't concern you. I wasn't talking to you. But what I love is the day that kid comes in. Okay, Mr. Brian, okay, so let me tell you what happened. You ever notice we're just dying for justice for everybody else? But when it comes to me, well, let me explain, Lord. I just want it to be fair. I want it to be equal. I want to get what I deserve. What am I going to get for following you? If I give something up, what am I going to get? You know, when that's where we are, what number am I going to get on the transcript? Then you've missed the point. Because it doesn't matter what your number is on the transcript. Is that what gets you into heaven? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Good news. You can't do anything. Why is that good news? Don't you feel the weight lifted off you right now? How hard is it to be good? How hard is it? And how does it feel when you blow it? How does it feel when you blow it? Don't get me wrong. I'm in favor of good. We, we saw Psalm 119. What did Psalm 119 say? It says, I delight in this. I delight in your law. It's good to keep your precepts. I'm not here telling you don't be good. I think good's fantastic. Like I said, the world's a better place when everybody's good. But don't for a second think it makes you good enough. The only reason I'm ever going to be declared good is because Jesus stands between me and a righteous judge and says, I've declared him good. Put him on my account. Put him on my account. I paid the price for him because he could never be good enough. So I don't want to be standing there going, well, Jesus, let me handle this. Lord, I've been pretty great. I've been pretty great. I'm sure you saw me a few times. I mean, word got out occasionally how good I could be. No, I'm going to be over there behind Jesus going, I'm with him. I'm with him. You know, that, that pitch that Jesus made, give away everything and come follow me. It may not be money for you. I mean, maybe you do need to look at your, your money and your possessions. But the question is, if you have an interaction with the Savior, how does it transform you? You see, come follow me is exactly what he said to Matthew who's writing this gospel. Do you remember what happened when Matthew heard that exact same speech? great. Luke writes it in this order. It says, when he heard Jesus say that, he left everything behind. Then he stood up and followed Jesus. Where did the leaving behind take place? What about Zacchaeus? What does Zacchaeus do? What did Zacchaeus and Matthew do? Apparently, tax collectors, what they do, when they suddenly find a Savior who says, I love you even though you're not good, you know what they do? They throw a party every time. Matthew Matthew threw a, a rager. The cops came. Zacchaeus has a party and he says, Lord, I'm so pumped that you've done this for me. You know what I'm going to do? Just off the top. is going away. I'm giving away 50% of my possessions. Then I'm going to go track down every person I defrauded and give them back four times as much. So why do you keep the precepts? Why do you do Psalm 119? Why do we care? Are you doing it to keep score with someone else? Are you doing it to earn your way in? Are you doing it because it's the overflow of a heart that says, I cannot get over the fact that blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. I have to respond in love to the world around me. I want to be good because it feels good to give you what God has given me. But the only way I'm going to be able to do that is if I approach him with humility, like the children who came. Not approach like the the ruler who walks in and says, I'm pretty sure I've nailed this. I'm just double-checking with you. When you have an interaction with the living, risen Savior, it should transform you. It should start with spiritual humility. I am not good enough. but That's okay, because He is. I know the one who is good. And then it should produce an overflow of goodness and love. But that should never be something that you're using as a weapon, as a scorecard, or as a way of earning anything. It's just an expression of a heart that's been changed. Let's pray. Father, remind us where we lose the plot, where we're trying to get a number on a scorecard, instead of becoming the people who know you. God, I want my goodness to be from you and for you. I want all of us as followers of you to be known as people marked by love, not by competition or judgment, but by love. Let us always have the humility to look at those who, who aren't doing good and say, Trust me, I'm no better than you. I'm just like you. Father, thank you so much for your love that covers me. Thank you for your goodness that suffices for all of us who are not good. Thank you that it's okay that I'm not good. God, help me to try. Help me to apologize when I fail. But mainly, let me trust in you and in your goodness. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Let us stand together.